Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Get it. It's Friday, November 3rd, 2023. You ain't got shit to do. Stop acting like you do. It's Morning Combat, the award-winning best damn combat sports show that they ever friggin' assembled hey it's friday i'm your boy bc brian campbell that beige bastard uh the bbc with that bde you stay for me but you arrive for that gentleman right there he's 44 years old he's from india it's luke thomas luke we've got a great show of morning combat today that oh by the way is presented by FanDuel sportsbook make every moment more with FanDuel sportsbook luke thomas how in the hell are you I'm all right. I'm all right. It's a Friday show. It's uh, it's a weird time in the sport. 2024 is going to be a weird year. Feel, feel pretty confident saying that. But um, yeah, that's it, man. Not a whole lot going on. Got some fights uh, back at UFC. Got some fights back this weekend. They're pretty yep. decent. Should be right. We're going to have more on that to come with OK Bet. Look at how many fighters have missed weight this morning in Sao Paulo. Yeah, fair Sao amount. Uh, also get into such a huge topic here. Uh, the, the books have opened up in the Zufa antitrust UFC trial that's expected to go to trial come springtime. So we've got a lot of leaked information, Luke, that's gone from redacted to John S. Nash approved in a very short period of time. Yeah, well, they actually have the payouts now. We know exactly what people were paid. Uh, this is not just the flat fee. This is pay-per-view points. This is any other cut that they might have gotten. This is well, what they let's got say, paid flat You out. said any... You said any other cut, any other disclosed cut, correct? Yeah, I mean, again, I don't understand the theory that it's like we're going to overpay guys and then not report it so that we can get fucked Very by the easy. Ninth Circuit. But Very simple. People Very will simple. float any theory these days, I suppose. That's true. We'll have a lot on that today. Uh, also, Luke Thomas, have you chosen any sides in the great Ariel versus Chael war? And what do you think happens if Ariel should be non-intelligent enough to enter the Luxor over the next 12 months. <laughs> I don't think he's ever stayed at the Luxor, certainly not anytime recently. Um, Cause you're about to, you're about to get some of that smoke that you keep asking for. That's what I'm saying. You know, I'd be, I'm a little surprised he gets, he talks a little greasy to some of these pro fighters, but uh, I, I don't you get the sense that Chael is kind of ratcheting it up a little bit for like, Oh, Chael's been on a full on like politician, like, 
stretch lately of communication that it's entertaining, but you do have to fact check every piece of info that's going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just feel like he's out there. I'm not saying that there wasn't real beef between them. There might have been a little bit, but I definitely feel like there was a lot of it that was, you know, it was a lot of vitriol, you know. Yeah, there was. That was interesting. Uh, Ariel's like, we won. No, Francis won. Wait, Francis didn't even win, Luke. All right, he felt great, though. All right, he felt great. Okay, that's the story there. Uh, this is a great show that's coming at you, so like and subscribe. Special thanks to Mikey Mormile of CBS Sports. On the ones and twos, there's our info below. And, hey, merch season, Luke Thomas. I mean, I got it on under this great sweatshirt. Check this. Check this. I don't have any on today. Holiday. Oh, you got the old classic. Wow, look yes. at that one. Hey, why don't you go to morningcombat.store right now, folks, and you can check out our new merch that's available, this great hat. Uh, I don't know, Average Joe Art, the crossover that people have been itching for. Hey, it's all here. Go to morningcombat.store. Uh, tell RJ that uh, you don't want to pay full price and maybe we can work out a deal on the side. No, I'm kidding here. Uh, we had 10% off the other day, Luke, but come come with the full price option here. You, you won't be disappointed. I will say, so much of our merch is extra thick. I don't mean like 3C, if I could C-clamp you a little bit here, Luke. I don't mean like C-clamp thick, but like it's like it's warm. Like, you know, some of these sweat. Do you have the tie-dye MK sweatshirt? That thing will keep you warm in the Arctic Circle, Luke. I think I gave that to my wife to wear uh, when she's like watching TV under the blankets. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's like, so for you. You ever it's, seen that Onion only- article? It's like it's like uh, area woman plans to spend entirety of winter under the blankets watching TV or something. And people get on me for not showering when I work from home. It's a lifestyle choice, Luke. When did you shower last? Let's check in. I did shower this morning. So my new uh. new lifestyle choice is that because it's now cold in Connecticut, and this morning was the first time all year I put the heat on downstairs, I am now taking showers in the morning pretending they are hot tubs, Luke. So my hygiene has been escalated only by my coldness. Okay, did you brush your teeth before today's show? Today I did. Most days, as you can tell by the pale, the the, uh, the shade of yellow that I uh, employ, Luke, I don't normally, okay? Uh, I don't shade normally either. I definitely used be. mouthwash this morning, although I have not showered, but that's only because I'm lifting right after the show. So yes, this hygiene update has been brought to you by Fans Dual Sportsbook. There's no and question. And I am wearing my toe spacers. Got my toe spacers, my Ali Brijos. Luke, what I do want to tell people about, wow, okay, that's a lot of leg that you're showing here. I didn't expect. Dirty ass feet. I didn't expect Luke Thomas in shorts with bare feet. All right. This is the, you try to lure me into your hotel room under the guise of hugging that this is usually where I it ends up. I have to take Barbas outside. I got dirty ass feet. Yeah, you do. Uh, Luke, here's what I wanted to tell people though. Uh, something important. What was it? It wasn't merch. It was, oh, how about this? We got maybe, maybe the best bonus content in all of the combat sports game. If you go to youtube.com slash morning combat right now, later today, Luke, I've got a fantastic chat with david benavides he'll be he'll be nice. of course headlining the november 25th final showtime boxing pay-per-view uh against demetrius android he's got very interesting comments about canelo charlo caleb plan and so many more you can check that out luke your chat with uh kareem zidane was incredible but then you brought out one with good old uh dewey cooper the lead trainer in francis Ngannou's boxing transition here that i just thought was incredible luke thomas so well done dewey is um dewey's a smart guy he's an accomplished guy he had a lot of interesting things to say like i said on the interview i said it to him 
I cannot believe it has taken this long for us to sit down and speak with him, but better late than never, I suppose. Did you hear his passion for saying yeah. how much he enjoys the show? But he kept saying your show. So I didn't think I didn't wasn't sure if he meant MK or if he meant the Luke Thomas Thursday live chat. It's like, Dewey, how much extra income have you been willing to, to or, you know? Or throw maybe down? he meant MK and he thinks of you as co host. You know, there is that's, that that's as fair. well. That's an old that's, that's an oldie but a goodie in the MK that lore, is an oldie. you know. But a goodie, no doubt, no doubt about it. So please check out all our great bonus content uh, chats with Oscar <laughs> De La Hoya, Ryan Garcia, Karen Fitzgibbons, Luke, still available. Kirian, Kirian, like Kirian, lays on down the road that I carry must an angel down the road that I must travel. Right? Yeah. It's Kyrie Kyrie. And yeah, Kirian yeah. is actually not what they say in the song either, but it kind of sounds like it. You know? Yeah. You ever see Ish? That's a banger. That's a nineteen eighties banger. People don't know that. Yeah, I don't love 80s music, but there are bangers within that. There are. I mean, I grew up out of like 80s music. Else. 80s music is like, I won't say decidedly okay. better than 90s because that's definitely not true. But I, like, if the opposite of love is hate, I don't hate it. I love a lot of 80s music. I grew up with it. I got MTV the first day we bought a house in 1984, Luke, May 1st, and I turned it on and never turned it off. But as much as I, I can appreciate a new wave jam, that that is the precursor to the indie rock genre. Um, I wouldn't say the 80s had, even for, for artists that span multiple decades, the 80s is often their weakest material. It was very adult contemporary. It was very, now tough for me to say coming at you from the Yacht Rock 70s here, but Luke, it was very soft, keyboard-esque, hollow. Would you say? A little hollow no, until I would not GNR that, came really, in and all. started. No. First of all, that's just definitely not true. Second of all, you had just a lot of really interesting creativity. I mean, the early birth pains of hip-hop came from the 80s, number one. It took off in the 90s, but the birth pains were there. But more to that point, BC, like bands like Tears for Fears, um, Talking Heads. Yeah, um, New Wave was great. Early, The first two R.E.M. albums will change your damn life, dude, Luke. first it two will. R.E.M. albums are just something completely different. Like Some of the best 80s music, man, I really love I'm old as shit, right, you know, but in. I was a kid in the 80s, so what are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, you were, you were. Maybe Back in Black's the best 80s albums. Maybe, maybe or maybe that's Appetite for Destruction. Or maybe no, you're going to say I, Kill Them All. What year did Back in Black come out? Because uh, here's why 80. I asked that. 80. 80? Back yeah, in Black was 80. was 80? I believe so. I would put money on it, Luke. Okay, you might be right. I, I, here's what happened to me. I was, uh, Tuki wanted to hear music from when I was a kid. That's what she said. Oh, so she's great. On, so I put on 90s rock, uh, like a playlist on YouTube Music. And uh, Thunderstruck came on. When did Thunderstruck come out? Uh, I believe that was in 87 or 88 off of that comeback album they had that was really good. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I don't. I, that's what I'm saying. I thought all those hits were like for sure 80s hits, not 90s hits. But Ball Breaker Thunderstruck came out was in 96, uh, right? 95, 96? Yeah, Thunderstruck was off of Razor's Edge, Luke. That one came out in 1990. Damn, See? Luke. I didn't Damn. know that. That's what I'm saying. It came out. I was like, I don't remember that being a 90s hit at all, but I guess it was. Razor's also, Edge Crystal was Pepsi came out in the 90s, BC. Crystal Pepsi, which is really the worst yeah. shit ever. Yeah. Do you know what uh, Razor's Edge had? That great hit they had. Come on, come on. Into the money. Money talks, right? That was badass. Yeah. That was a pretty good song. Yeah. Dude, hey, what AC a long DC intro. makes hits. I love Friday intros, Luke. We just roll out the balls and pretend that there's anyone waiting for us to get into combat sports, right? We're just talking about our life here. It's really my favorite part. Most people can't fast forward fast enough. All right, let's transition here. Here we go. We're going to get into the news right now, the news that fits. It's topic 
number one on this Friday. Okay, bet still to come. All the breakdowns of this week's UFC Sampaio card, Sao Paulo card. But topic number one is an important one in the MMA I got, space. I, I was like, I get emails about you saying Sao Paulo wrong. Like, I get people getting bitter at you to me about it. Well, get it. Take a number like the deli counter and get in line behind Padeda. <laughs> We're still working on transitioning off of that one, Luke. Okay. I mean, what is it? Pareda? What is it? Padera? What, what, what is it, Luke? Pereira? Again, not a Portuguese speaker, but the Portuguese speaker I asked is it's Pereira. You have to flip the uh, the uh, the tongue of But there's no Pade. There's no Pahe. It's Pereira. 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 Alex Pereira. There we go. We're back at it. Topic. Number one on this Friday, Zufa, the former owners of UFC, the Fertitta brothers and Dana White, denied an appeal in the larger UFC antitrust case, which will not only set a trial for next spring looking like it could be starting, but even more importantly for today, Luke, uh, a leaked, not a leaked report, but a previously redacted report showing a lot of payouts that really came together. Let's credit Bloody Elbow for the initial launch on this. People like John S. Nash. Uh, who was the guy? Anton Luke that works there? Anton Tobuena, yes. Mm -hmm. Th these guys do just incredible work. Um, Luke, here's the description from MMA Fighting, which was also early on this. The report in question was authored by antitrust expert Robert Blair. It was commissioned by defense attorneys for Zufa to counter experts hired by a group of fighters who's suing the promotion for anti-competitive business practices between 2011 and 2016. The case is expected to go to trial in April, as I mentioned, but this report was initially redacted before Nevada federal judge Richard Bolware ordered it to be resubmitted to the court without the omissions. Now, Luke, in full transparency, the, the, the information does not actually have fighter names linked with the payouts. Instead, it's the what fight in their career path along with the year and the payout, which people like Antoine, Anton, John Nash have been able to go behind the scenes and really do the work, getting the best possible guess we can for who made what during this period, 2011 to 2016, which featured so many big stars coming in and out from Rousey, GSP, Lesnar to John Jones and Anderson Silva. So Luke, as a whole, What's the juiciest thing that have come out of uh, this news over the last 24 hours? Well, um, so we, by virtue of this publication, we have not complete payouts for everybody, but we've got a lot of payouts for a lot of your bigger stars. Connor, we do have all of Ronda Rousey's payouts, BC. John Jones, we have some. Brock Lesnar, we had a couple. He made $8 million for fighting Mark Hunt. No pay-per-view points. Just a flat sum. That's not bad work. It's not bad work. Juice to the gills and go wrestle a guy for three, three five-minute rounds. We'll pay you $8 bucks. That's that's good work if you can get it. Uh, $3 million I think he got for one of the other fights. Maybe Kane or something else. Maybe Frank Mir, too. I, I don't remember. So we don't have all of them. We got some we got some Anderson Silva. We got some Mike Bisping ones um, as well. I know some folks... Let me say something up front. Um... I know a lot of folks are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, who wants to have their pay out there in the world? Well, if it meant you got more, I think just about all of us. But to the point, like most pro athletes, like you can go to overthecap.com and you can find out what every NFL player makes basically right now. You can just go look. So this is the thing that um, you got to remember in terms of the public disclosure of these. This is the thing that uh, Zufa did not want that the fighters in this lawsuit did want. We should be clear about that. 
Um, but that in general, when you get other sports, a lot of these are explicitly made public by the um, relevant union or player association as a way to leverage for more pay. Just want to be clear about that. The second part I would say, which is kind of interesting, is that they had to piece this stuff together, as you mentioned. So it's not altogether complete, but it's pretty interesting. The thing that stands out to me, I would say, are two things. Number one, some of these payouts you're going to look at and you might think they're not that bad. And I want to be clear, if you're getting paid a million dollars for a night of work, and of course we know it's more than that, or two or three or four or five or six, or in the case of Lesnar, eight, you know, it's not like you're making bad money objectively. This clearly puts you in the top 1% of earners anywhere in the country, right? So... Um, they're not getting completely bulldozed in a way that I think some of the worst case pronouncements had kind of made, like, oh, they're only going to get a couple hundred thousand bucks or a million if they're lucky. Conversely, there are a lot of people who are like, oh, yeah, Connor made, you know, 25 million for the Nate rematch. No, he didn't. We know exactly what he made. He made less than 7 million for that. And that's an event that brought in 61 million. Now, I also want to say something else, BC. You might be asking, what's an appropriate amount to hand out? Well, let me put it to you in perspective. Spence Crawford sold uh, 650,000 buys at a rate of $84.99, let's just say $85, which made that about a $55 million haul. They did a $20 million gate, so about $75 million. You might be wondering how much they would get paid for something like that, right? $7 million each, maybe $10 million each. Try $25 million each. So if it made $75 million, it went a third, a third, a third. One to the fighter, one to the fighter, one to the rest of the house. That's basically how it would go. So when you look at these numbers, what you have to realize is the UFC is not impoverishing their higher earners. That's really not what's happening. The question is, are they in a space where they're able to fully use the market to negotiate a maximum value? And the answer is quite clearly not, right? And John Nash made a point, BC, and we really should understand this. In, the, in cases where, I don't know if it's true in the John Jones cases, but certainly in the Conor McGregor cases and then the Rousey cases, the UFC made as much as they needed to on the gate to pay back all of the fighter costs. So anything that they actually made on pay-per-view was just gravy. They were actually able to cover and then probably in many cases make a profit just from the gate, not even including the pay-per-view side of it. So it's just impossible to look at these and say that they're getting what they're supposed to be getting. However, BC, I will say one last note before we look at some of these on the screen here. You look at some of Rousey's uh, numbers, BC. She was making four and I think around five million for some of her later fights. Now, again, again, here's 575K for the Carmouche fight, which did really well on pay-per-view. And then, By you the way, see... just to c cut you off on there, Carmouche's uh, payout disclosed by Nevada for that date was 12000 That's the first yeah. UFC female title fight in history rousey made five hundred thousand on paper you can see the 575 total payout carmouche made twelve thousand on paper right right i, I want to get the i want to get the gate for that in just a second which we will but i just want to point out i will say this i don't know many female boxers making numbers like this you know now granted i don't know many female boxers that could pull like peak rousey could pull peak rousey could pull as good as basically anyone in the game not named Conor McGregor. I mean, she was a massive star. So she's going to get more than what an Amanda Serrano, even versus a Katie Taylor, is going to get. But, of course, she's a bigger, in her peak, she was a bigger attraction than both. BC, I'll pitch it back to you about where you want to go from here. 
But that's the way that it works. And I want to say one thing about the Ninth Circuit, too, if I can. For folks wondering what the deal is there, um, it's a little complicated to explain, but there's this idea about wage share versus wage level. How do you measure what the appropriate amount is that the fighters should be getting? Should they be getting a share of the total or should it be commensurate as a level? And there's levels within the levels, but as a level relative to what the larger promotion is getting, the UFC, and in typically in antitrust cases, they do measure off wage level. The plaintiffs, the fighters in this case, argued it should be more measured as a share because MMA is different than some of these other antitrust precedents that we're using. And what Zufa said is, you know what? We don't know if the judge in this case, Judge Bulware in Nevada, we don't know if he knows what he's talking about. Let's bump this up to a higher court that is much more experienced with dealing with antitrust because they're going to look at this. They're going to say, aha, the plaintiffs in this case use a methodology that we just don't see in antitrust. Let's see what the with the Ninth Circuit. And the Ninth Circuit didn't really give us any information. The Ninth Circuit of Appeals, BC. And by the way, there is a Trump appointee uh, on that court. They didn't give us any explanation. They just flatly rejected it and said, no, we're not interested. Which means all of this mumbo jumbo, what does it mean? It means there is one path left. Two paths, really. You can either settle or you can go to trial. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else in the way anymore. That's what the significance of that ruling it's means. Huge. It means it's time for trial. All right. I got a few questions for you to kind of put all the pieces together in a layman sense for my own understanding of, of white belt in this Luke, but for everyone else as well, before we look at specifically what these payouts might mean, this is the Kung Lee lawsuit, right? That gets referred to often as the Kung yes, Lee lawsuit. Lee versus not yes. Are there multiple lawsuits still out there that are kind of yes. lingering around the same topic? So there, you might see that uh, there's another lawsuit that gets mentioned with this one, which is the Cajun Johnson lawsuit. That one is still in very, very, very early stages. There is some overlap in terms of what the judge might order for discovery or information being turned over or, or the like. Uh, but that one is in a completely different stage. And you might be asking, what's the difference? The difference is the Kung Lee lawsuit, 21, 2011 to 2016, any fighter involved in that case, Cajun Johnson, 2017 to modern day. So they're essentially claiming the same thing, but they cover two different periods. One hasn't had class certification yet, one has. So they're just in different stages. They're, they're essentially claiming the same things, but for two different time periods. The one we're talking about here, Lee versus Zufa, 2011, 2016. That's what we're talking about. All right. Uh before we get into the specifics again of the of the money here and what we can piece from that is the sort of the backbone of this lawsuit from Kung Lee and other fighters that have that have signed on essentially saying that the UFC made so much money during the run that I was fighting that I uh, that what what's the claim in court that I was that I'm deserving of more or that the UFC was obviously operating in monsopstinastic ways that denied me as a fighter what I was deserved. Does that sort of, the, does that make sense in how this is being framed legally? Yeah, they're not saying, hey, they made so much they should have given me some. There's no legal claim there. They're claiming that they used uh, monopoly powers that they've ac acquired to limit the ability for fighters to meaningfully be able to use any of their um, uh, ordinary market power to generate what they should have been generating. In other words, they're basically claiming, hey, we got cheated out of money because of the practices that this business used, which we're alleging are illegal, and we want you, the court, to weigh in to say that they're illegal so that when we can be entitled to some kind of redress or you know financial compensation, whatever it is that the plaintiffs are ultimately either going to settle for or ask for in court. Yeah. 
Very interesting stuff here. So, Luke, as we look at it, do you feel like fighter to fighter, payment to payment, as we try to match all this up, that it was more or less than you thought and assumed? Uh, I had heard a lot of these figures privately for a long time, so it was right in line with what I had assumed. There were some that were interesting I did not know. So I didn't know any of Brock's. I didn't know any of Michael Bisping's. Uh, I didn't, by Michael Bisping, I mean, you just look at what he sacrificed on the altar of athletic glory and then what he got paid for it. He was, you know, he didn't make what he, I think, should have made. But he, he, again, he didn't make a bad wage. The question is, what he, did he make what he should have made? But when you look at numbers like Conor McGregor and over nine UFC bouts only made $20 million, $20 million is a lot of money. But he probably should have had around $120 million for all of that. You can really very, very easily make an argument that the most underpaid fighter in UFC history is Conor McGregor. In terms of what he generated, right? From so Let's like, talk how about that. He, how do you know what he generated? Well, what were the gates when he fought versus not the gates when he fought? What were the pay-per-view buy rates when he fought versus not when he fought? That's what he generated. Of course, the UFC plays a role as well, but if there's great variation between them, then the, the UFC factor there becomes something that's a little bit less noteworthy relative to the star power of the main event headliner. Well, let's start at the top because we're all under the assumption and working theory that nobody... It's not an assumption. The facts tell you that nobody has moved pay-per-view buys over the course of their career like Conor McGregor, who is something like nine of the ten biggest fights in UFC history in terms of pay-per-view buys. He's at the top. Here's some notable payouts from the Bloody Elbow research. Uh, Luke, any surprises here across the board? Because the $6.8 is a lot. But remember, that's the Madison Square Garden champ-champ fight in which Conor exited the arena saying... You're going to do this big sale. I'm going to get a piece of this company along the way. Yeah, I mean, he got paid less than $7 million for that, which, again, you know, that's a lot of money. You might be asking, okay, what did the buy rate? The buy rate that we know of was $1.3 million. You can do the math on the numbers, but how about this, BC? The gate was $17.7 million. Just the gate alone more than covered all of the athlete uh, payout on this, plus they made a profit from that. Plus, they got whatever they got on pay-per-view. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. So I would love to make $7 million, but if I'm entitled to, I don't know, uh, $30 million or you know, $20 million, I, I, I might feel a little bit short-changed. People look at these numbers, and they're like, wow, I would love to have $7 million. Right, but what if you generated 20 25 30 and you only got seven? How would you feel? Now, in the end, we know the Conor McGregor story, BC. He made money off whiskey. He got rich for life. You know, Conor's going to be okay. But we're talking about a practice where some of the highest earners that the UFC has, Conor McGregor and Ronda are the, basically the two biggest, even they are incredibly underpaid relative to what they could get in an, in an environment where they're actually able to fully leverage themselves, their star power, and then the ability to negotiate a, a proper And I wage. remember that 205 week, we were sort of going, okay, you know, what, what, what was the on-paper payout for Conor in that fight? What, at that point, I think it was... At that point, I think it was, what, second to what Brock made against Mark Hunt just a few yeah. months earlier, right? Something, so, was so, the, so I think the stated payout was something like one or two million, something like I that. I remember debating in that time, knowing that the pay-per-view was probably very successful, knowing how insanely successful that live gate was. And obviously, it's Madison Square Garden. You can jack up ticket prices. This is the first card at MSG after 16 years of the sport being banned in that state. I remember debating, okay, well, he obviously took home in the end 10 to 15 million right turns out wrong which is no. surprising considering the level of star power like when you show me the the, the mendez payout right there 
which was Connor's, correct me if I'm wrong, his first pay-per-view main event, right? I think that's right. Then you understand that, although that's still a lot of money, and that was a huge car. What was that, UFC 189, potentially, Luke, when it was uh, McGregor versus uh, Chad Mendes? But as you escalate on through there, I kind of believe that he should have or would have been paid a lot more given to where his star power was after two Nate Diaz back-to-back pay-per-views, the second one being the biggest one at that point in company history, and then you slide into 205, and he's still only making that much. So, Luke, it's really no surprise then that in 2020, John Jones would be coming out and saying, look, you want me to move up to heavyweight. I want the money that Deontay Wilder gets. I want a guarantee right. of Wilder money. 30 million. million basically. 20 and million let's not fight. forget that John is only came back after Francis Ngannou turned down the record money for one night, which we thought was around 8 million on paper, not the back end on paper. So it still shows, goes to show you, well, a, that John's not a company guy here. He just finally got offered enough to come back after they were assured that Francis wasn't coming back. But I think it shows you overall, Luke, that unless there is a Nelk Boys paper bag, this could be the missing information that we have needed all along when we make these larger assumptions of what people are paid, of whether these, of whether even, forget the 99%, because the 99% in UFC is the larger problem that we have. What about the 1%? Are the 1% getting paid up to the level that we assumed because I've all, all argued long that there's more money that's being reported. Why? A, because the companies during these stretches are making money left and right. B, I understood the strategy of purposely releasing through the state commission a smaller amount so that fighters never really know how, how much each other is making so it hurts their leveraging power. And then on top of that, why do we never, ever, 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 except for John Jones in 2020 when he took that stand, why do we never see the 1% argue for more, stand out stand out for more? I've always felt, Luke, it's because they, they are getting protected in some form behind the scenes that makes the journey that they went on to join that 1% all the more worth it. And to me, that is some of the whispers that we hear of, oh, and again, do I know if all of this is has been reported to the IRS? Do I know if all this makes sense or am I an idiot? You can come out of that for yourself. But do I believe, have I heard that fighters will get that Nelk Boys bag in the back after a job well done? Rashad telling us that he got a bag full of what? A million DC has said that. Luke, I think that's a common practice. And I get why you would say, BC, that's reckless to say they're going to have to prove BC, it. Are they going to risk we that? we're talking about includes those bonuses. They have them noted in the in the filings. Yeah, they have the ones that they've noted and put out there. This is less money than I assumed, Luke. This is, even for the 1%. That's what's most shocking. But in this 1%, Mikey, can we go to the GSP full screen? I was shocked at how well GSP was getting paid commensurate to John Jones Why, and Anderson GSP Silva. Was pulling in huge pay-per-view Dude, buyers. look at these paydays for fights, Luke, that certainly were big and had interest. The Jake Shields fight was that Toronto card. Correct me if I'm wrong, they had the largest attendance up to that point, the largest gate in UFC history. Obviously, the Nick Diaz one had a lot of buzz, but these are paydays that I'm shocked they're so big for these specific opponents. This is only $15 million over four fights. What guy do you know is considered an all-time great in boxing that got paid like that? Yeah, but isn't this more than... The same full screens we're going to show for Rousey, Silva, Jones. Like, why was GSP getting paid so much more on average Dude, when GSP his pay-per-view numbers, huge while draw. solid... I think, Jake, I think the Jake Shields fight did, what, 750K buys? I mean, 
some of those were probably close to a million or, you know, so, I mean, he was continuously in the six to seven to 800 range. Dude, that's a huge number. Like you're drawing a lot. Like the, he's making like 5% of the total revenue that that event. I mean, remember, so the, the Jake Shields fight was in the, what was it called? The the Rogers Center in Toronto with like yes, the giant that was the record breaking had, night. Monster yeah, yeah. And I was there that night. I sat next to Morrow in the upper deck. They set us both in the upper deck. Um, you know, that gate was enormous as well. There was like 40,000 people in attendance there, which had not been done at the UFC before. Again, I don't know where the exact number. It could have been 50. But, you know, ten, more, more than the typical 20,000 you would get for an arena show, give or, give or take. It was, you know, about twice that size. So it's like you see these payouts, dude. I, I just want to go back. Are you actually still arguing after all of this that there's still money that these guys are making that is unaccounted for in these numbers? After seeing the totals... Luke, and while I'm surprised that GSPs were so large across the board, specifically comparative to the other stars he was kind of competing against, I still think this doesn't tell the full story. Because <laughs> even if this was the case, why wouldn't the 1% argue for more, Luke? Why Dude, this wouldn't is they... very simple. This is so simple. I cannot believe you won't go to the Occam's Razor on this. Number I one, won't. they're trapped can, in a contract. Cut me. cut me, Mick. Gig yeah. me. They're trapped in a contract. Where are they going to go, number one? Number two... Again, if you got cut a $3.4 million check and you didn't get really a look at the financials and you don't, you know, relative to what everyone else is getting, wouldn't you be pretty happy? You'd be pretty, I did. If someone cut me a $3.4 million check, I'd be really happy. But this is not the central question. It would, it, it would certainly, you know, serve my economic interest. It would, you know, if you make 15 million over the course of a couple of years, man, you can do a lot with that. It's not the idea that they're impoverishing their number one earner, or that I should say they're, Top 1%, anyway. Top 1% of their earners. That's not the argument. The argument is, are they making what they're supposed to be making? People make the yes. fighter pay story about the guy making 10 and 10 and 20 and 20 and 30 and 30. And by the way, we got to look at Habib's contract. And up until the Barboza fight, that's what he was making, 20, 20, and 30 and 30. Like nothing, right? And that is part of the story. That's true. But it, the story is different at all the different economic ranges. And at the top, it's so easy to be like, oh, they're making $4 million. Who gives a fuck about them? Guys, they, they made a lot more than that. They only got paid $4 million. And this, it, it's, it's, if you can't find justice for one side of it, which I grant is the least you know, um, sympathetic side, I, I understand that it's not, not the most sympathetic story for someone who's already making millions, but if you can't find the, the, the room for justice there, you can't really talk about the ones at the more working class side of it. Like all of it is important. All of it is part of the story. All of it is a bigger picture that needs to be looked at. Also, BC, I honestly cannot believe, being dead serious, I cannot yeah. believe you think that there's more money out there that they're not accounting for after the fucking Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals told them, to, like, dude, if they were gonna survive that, if they were gonna survive the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, they would have had to have every penny accounted for there i'm telling you as your friend it is not possible for them to have left any money on the cutting room floor so to speak in terms of what they turned in not possible this is an existential threat to the business make no mistake well, look, about it existential they would not leave a penny off of that ledger you can you could take my what is looked at as comedic ignorance for for however you believe it and, and white belt me and that's fine my my conspiratorial belief shouldn't be the central part of this topic even though i inserted them in there but luke no i still believe in other things and that's fine luke <laughs> i i believe there is a 
targeted purpose in keeping the 1% as quiet as possible. And how do yes, you do that's that? That's true. Yes. How do you do that, Luke? The same thing other jobs I had where they didn't pay me well, but they gave me pizza every single Friday, right? That little fringe <laughs> benefit to get me to shut the hell up about my larger but dude, woes. Th this is this is what I mean. This is what I mean. It's like once you're once you're John Jones and you're deep into your career and you've made some good money. Like John's not poor. He's not poor. You've made some good money. You look around and you begin to say, hey, wait a second. Am I actually making all the money that I'm supposed to be making? It reminds me of these artists who get signed to these record deals. And then, you know, they get they get a big cash advance and they're happy and they're not really worried about anything. And then 10 years down the road, they don't have the rights to any of their shit. They owe two more albums. They, you know, they, 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 they can't get this. They can't get that. And they're like, well, dude, I just signed a, like a deal that was not, you know, it could have had some advantages for sure. It pulled them out of whatever economic situation they were in. But you're asking, how do they keep them quiet? They keep they made them quiet because in a world where guys weren't making anything like that, they were making, you know, again, according to overall economic standards, very good money. They thought that was good. But then they wise up later like John Jones did. It was like, wait a second. You know, and again, we should be clear about Deontay Wilder money. Deontay Wilder money means sometimes the promoter's not going to make money. I mean, you could even argue well, he's a little bit overpaid. Yes. But BC, how is it possible John Jones, who has brought yes. in millions of of pay-per-view buys over the course of his career has never had a $10 million payday. It's it wild because if you make the comparison to boxing, you could make a sort of hipster smart argument and say, well, look, during the during the Mayweather prime leading up to the Pacquiao fight where it wouldn't it didn't matter who he was fighting, he'd come close to or surpass that $1 million benchmark and you say, "Okay, in these fights, if he's doing over a million, it's being charged at 50 a pop, he's getting paid somewhere in the, you know, 30 to 50 million when you factor in guarantee plus back end, his opponents making usually in that four to five million area, maybe double if it's Canelo. But, um, but then again, you can make the hipster argument that the PBC and Al Heyman's business model was about for the first time in boxing at that point, getting the fighters paid the extra that they would deserve. So the fighters during that stretch at the highest level were probably getting more than they ever have been. But still, with that said, Luke, yes, now that we see these other stats behind the scenes, we see how woefully underpaid in comparison. And I guess you could argue, well, these are deeper cards. You've got guys in the co-main yes. event, the yes, kickoff of the pay-per-view, that you also need to pay. And that is true. It's just that collectively across the board, everyone's underpaid comparatively, and specifically the higher-end guys. You just said that thing. How many big fights, how many big moments has John Jones produced? Can we go to the John Jones full screen? Good Yet call. this is the rundown of payouts that did lead to him. Let's not forget that three-year retirement was not fueled by arrest or necessarily fueled by it's going to take me three years to change my body. It was about here are the numbers I've made while being considered the best fighter of all time. Here is the number that Deontay Wilder just made. And I think at that point, Luke, they may have been referencing either the Luis Ortiz rematch or the Dominic Brazil fight. Two ones, you know, two fights where where Wilder got top end money and inevitably blew away the other guy. What can you say about this when we consider that some of these fights, the first Daniel Cormier fight, for example, gosh, the Rashad fight was over a million buys and was one of those must see grudge matches. These cards were not about the undercard; they were about John Jones in either grudge feuds or John Jones against people who we had, you know, serious beliefs and threats that they could win. Luke, what do you think about these payouts? No so, wonder so, so he held out I'm going to say. Years. I'm going to say two things. One, in response to these payouts, 
you have to understand something. When people say, oh, the cards are different in MMA, they're stacked, you know, in the way they are. Guys, the cards are arranged in the way that they are because of the way promoters have arranged fighter pay. When fighter pay, I should say, no, I shouldn't say when, if fighter pay changes where guys are actually able to leverage what their worth is, cards are going to look different. How different? I don't know, but they're not going to look the way that they look. So folks being like, well, they've got this level, then they got this level, then they got this level, and the card is much better top to bottom. That's all arranged by virtue of how affordable it is to do that, right? Relatively speaking, once that becomes less affordable, you're just not going to get it. So again, people are like, oh, well, then that's bad for me as a consumer. You have to decide what you want as a consumer. Do you want something that's really great for you and potentially terrible for the people who are sacrificing their health? Or do you want a more equitable industry? And I know what some people are going to say. They're going to say, selfishly, I want something that's better for me. I understand that, but that's not really the path that I'm on. That's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say, and I do think it's right, though, when you go back to this argument about, you know, the cards are different. I actually don't know what the number would be if John Jones had leverage to really negotiate that money, given that some of the business is done differently in MMA. I don't know what that number is. But the point being is, even if it's well short of Deontay, but still well north of what he had been getting, the point being is at least he would be free to leverage those forces to get something more equitable, something that rewards his effort more generally. So if we end up being less than boxing, but more than where we are now, I'm completely comfortable with that. It doesn't sure. need to match boxing. It doesn't need to, on a 650K buy, go 25 mil, 25 mil, 25 mil for the house, the gate, the house, and then the two fighters. It doesn't need to do that, BC. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is we, whatever these numbers are, 1.2, 2.3, we know that they're less because they were created in an environment where the leverage that the guy had who signed those deals was minimal to non-existent. That's what we know. That's what we're trying to solve for. We're not trying to reach all these guys deserve 20 million every time. No, they definitely don't. They definitely don't. But what does it look like in a world where they have relatively even footing? That's what we're asking. All right, let's go to the Anderson Silva full screen. And Luke, I want to ask you sort of a larger question related to this lawsuit, which could hit the courts in April. And there's some of the big ones. It's a consistent run of multiple millions right there. And you can see as Anderson Silva's name grew through some of those highlight reel performances, how much things went up. What is the realistic fallout that could happen in 2024 from this trial hitting the courts mixed with the release of this information, mixed with the larger narrative of UFC fighter pay over the past few years? What, I'm not sure I understand the question. Say it again. How big is this trial launching in April going to be for, for yeah. the future of fighter pay and what immediate impact could it have? By the way, you see that 4.2 that he got for Cormier on like 24 hours notice? They clearly gave him a huge chunk of that and like an extra yeah. bonus to do that. I mean, which... it, ma it makes you wonder what Usman and uh, who else came in last minute for that recent Abu Dhabi one? Uh, Volk. Volkanovski. Yeah, it must have been up in that couple high mil, level. Probably couple high mil. level, like this yeah. is my retirement egg. Get the hell yeah. off my back, people. Yeah. You can understand why they may have taken it in, in retrospect. But um, so listen, the chances of both sides settling has gone up exponentially because remember you could get feast or famine for either party if it goes to trial and if it goes to a verdict I believe it's gonna be a jury trial right so there's just a lot of unpredictability with that so it, the, the the likelihood that they reach some settlement has certainly increased does that mean they're going to reach a settlement I don't I don't know I'm not a lawyer I have no fucking idea 
what it's going to look like and if it if there is a settlement package how generous it is and maybe it's just money in the end and they don't change anything i don't know i don't know what that's going to look like but you have to realize what's at stake in this trial for the ufc for the plaintiffs too the plaintiffs could walk out of here by the way those are the fighters they could walk out of here with nothing not a penny not a change in contract nothing absolutely zero and then you got to pay all of their lawyer fees back or something i mean they could truly walk out of here having wasted the last 10 years on their life on a pursuit of nothingness that is absolutely true and it's on the table what is also on the table for the defendants that's the ufc in this case is an existential threat to their business make no mistake about it that is 100 percent a real possible threat is it the likeliest one i don't know i have no clue but what i'm trying to point out is imagine that a trial goes through and imagine if the plaintiffs win handily you've already seen this judge judge Bulware, the district court judge in nevada who has seemed very sympathetic to the arguments of the fighters in this case imagine that they win just like full out in every way what would the judgment be in that case? Not only would it be in the billions in favor of any kind of financial compensation, which I do think UFC would be able to pay. I don't think that's really that big a deal. But the other side of it, which could be alterations to their business practices, making the contracts two years or less, or any number of different changes and interventions they could make, this would absolutely alter the business as you understand it, not just the Ultimate Fighting Championship, but the MMA industry more generally. And in some ways you might like, and in some ways you might not like. I'm just trying to point out the scale of what is on the line is like nothing I've seen in all of my years in this business. This is a true, straight up, make no mistake about it, existential threat if it goes through. And more to the point, what's kind of interesting, BC, is beyond that, antitrust experts are actually looking at this case to see, you know, they don't really care about MMA or whatever. They just want to see what kind of implications this has for future antitrust cases and what kind of doors any sort of settlement or judgment ultimately might, who, that you might get here could confer. So the plaintiffs could walk out of here with, you know, the elephant ears in their pockets like they're absolutely impoverished and nothing. And the UFC, conversely, could walk out of here with a business that you or I no longer even recognize as the ultimate fighting championship. The stakes could not be higher. Wild. Wild turn events. Luke, I want to read to you some other recent news related to this topic and sort of piece it all together at what the future could mean. So the other bit of news this is from MMA Fighting is, Luke, the first major financial disclosure for the TKO group, which is WWE and UFC, uh, was was filed to the Security and Exchange Commission that's revealed information about the UFC's revenue for 2022 and 2023. Uh, TKO has to, as a public company, right, uh, reveal this information. And during the first two quarters of this calendar year, the UFC produced $611 million in revenue across media rights and content, live events, sponsorship, and consumer licensing. Um, the media rights and content, which is largely based on the deal with ESPN, paid out the largest revenue with 22, sorry, 224.1 million in the first quarter and 211 million in the second quarter. You tie into that the news you sent me, I believe from John Nash's recording that essentially reporting that basically says 
the UFC has amended the larger contract situation related to the sunset clause, which a lot, which is a key part about how Francis Ngannou was able, not easily, but able to reach the end of his UFC deal. They immediately made changes after he left to that. Here are the extra latest changes. Uh, a brand new one is here, and it's even more restrictive. Basically, what it says is that you, if you turn down fights and the UFC doesn't think you have a legitimate enough reason to turn down said fights, they can pause the five-year period, the sunset clause, and essentially keep you there even longer. Luke Thomas may be tied into this information, maybe unrelated. I want to get your stance on it. Is the coup that could be starting within Endeavor, that Silver Lake, which owns 71%, of Endeavor is trying to overtake essentially RE and company through votes and turn the company private. I, I read you the stats from the first quarter to show you how in you know, how insanely lucrative this joining of forces with, with UFC and WWE has been with the new TKO group. This matters in the larger picture of do they have the money to pay the fighters? They're coming off like record-breaking stretches. What does this potential Silver Lake coup mean to this lawsuit, which is right around the corner? See, this part I don't have a clear understanding of. Um, for reasons I'm not totally sure, this is my understanding. We all know the UFC business is thriving. You could say what you want about 2023, but... And again, th there's been some great fights in 2023. We should be honest about that, too. But um, either way, they've made a ton of money. Right, because it's all contractually guaranteed, and as long as they produce the content that they're basically supposed to produce, they're basically going to make the money that they're already sort of guaranteed to get. There's a little bit extra on pay-per-view, obviously, but you can see the media rights fees from ESPN are just extraordinary. For some reason, Endeavor's stock price is doing poorly, but we know that the UFC business is quite healthy. Do you so know that? Ar I interrupt you. Do you know that Ari publicly has has blamed? Vince McMahon's uh, sexual head negative headlines with all the lawsuits and accusations as the reason why the stock uh, dipped. Which I'm sure it played a role, by the way, but it doesn't seem quite true. I don't get a sense of exactly why Endeavor is suffering the stock price. I'm sure people who have read about it more than I have can give you a sense. But I guess part of it is, listen, when you go public, there's just a lot of public scrutiny that comes with it. And I would imagine that given that there is this other Cajun Johnson trial, which, by the way, whatever resolution... And by the way, the judge wants to have this trial for Kung Lee versus Zufa, the one that's the, you know, with all the numbers we've been talking about here. They want to have that trial in April. April. Yo! I mean... <laughs> okay, so Luke, what I'm kind of asking you, and I know you don't have all the details, you know, we're, we're trying to pick up all this information from those who are experts on it, but when you go back from public to private... Is there anything in that strategic that's tied into the larger dollar value, the payout, the disclosed earnings, all of that? Is that all yeah. like, should we be, should our nose and eyes and ears be extra tinged to that? Headline? Yeah, I mean, clearly financial secrecy is something that the people in charge were all, are all in, in any company. I mean, this is not exclusive to UFC or Endeavor. Any company is to the extent possible going to want to keep a lot of that stuff private. Obviously, there's some benefits to going public and getting the initial public offering and, and uh, the, the investment that comes with that and why they kind of tolerate it. And there's, there's reasons why you would want to, you know, there's costs and benefits to either side. And, you know, depending on your situation, you might decide one is better than the other. But it does look to me like there's a premium, let's put it, being put on Endeavor's uh, money being kept secret. They, the, the Silver Lake folks, as you indicated, 
want to bring it back to a, a private state. And again, I think the larger Endeavor woes are probably not in any way unrelated to that. But how it relates to UFC and whatnot, if the judge orders discovery, even in a case where a company is private, it doesn't matter. They still have to turn over those documents. The question is whether or not they become unsealed. That's another part of this case. Part of the reason why we got what we got from these numbers and uh, Bloody Elbow being able to piece them together. And by the way, we should say, if you want to take a look at this, go subscribe to their sub stack, I do, um, is that the judge ordered full disclosure of these, of the uh, unsealing of basically of these numbers. They were, they were going to be sealed in perpetuity. Like there was a way, BC, that this court case could have gone where the plaintiffs, the fighters in this case, they tried, they got nowhere. Even if they got through discovery, everything was kept sealed. You didn't get anything as a result. Case gets thrown out and then we're done here. And that could have been a real reality that we faced. It just so happens that the one we got was one where it has progressed to where it's progressed. And the judge in this case is ordering a lot of the information to be unsealed. That is how we have come to this. You can see why financial secrecy is very, very important for very, very top-level executives. It's very interesting. Uh, the, so, look, tied into this whole story, and it has to be, is the biggest story in combat sports, right? Francis Ngannou, right? Because wow. he he escaped the draconian nature of these to go out on his own was, you know, reviled by UFC along the way. I don't, I don't, I don't assume Luke that anybody, that everybody sort of has like a, a horse in this race of Francis versus Dana or Francis versus UFC, but it showed that there is a way to leave and get paid more. So I want to ask you on a larger basis, look, Saudi is also part of this topic because Saudi Arabia and by extension, the UAE and the other countries of that area, which are so infused with cash and so badly want to change the public perception, increase tourism, whatever you want to say across the board, even to the level of sports washing, if you want to go there. But it's happening. It's changing. Everyone's taking the money. Everyone's doing it. Luke, Saudi Arabia put $100 million into the PFL. And the people out there that are saying to me in the DMs, hey, BC, I think you should re-examine the conspiracy of Fury taking money to take a fall. And I don't believe that, Luke. The only reason why I'm offering that, even giving it life to it, and this is separate from my own conspiratorial beliefs about big milk boy bags that some of these UFC headliners get. John Nash still just heard, tweeted you, by the way. I still haven't heard enough from you and John Nash to completely close the door on this. Well, that's another topic for another day. But, Luke Thomas, as far as this topic, some people say, hey, look, it's obvious Fury took the fall because Francis is the face of this new operation. Wouldn't Saudi Arabia want Francis to be looking good entering the PFL, which it's now infusing? I'm not making that case. But Saudi Arabia and by extension, the other countries could, could shift the balance of power in combat sports by being able to outbid everybody. So is there any danger to UFC that all of this is happening regarding the public nature of of the fight fighter pay issue, which is going in some form to force change. Is it really bad timing potentially for the UFC that it's happening? A, you know, the same year that boxing has had its biggest year in decades, the same year that PFL with big backing is about to spin off and launch a pay-per-view division with Jake Paul and Ngannou and all of that. Uh, you know, PFL just bought Bellator. Like the, the rest of the industry seems to be mounting up. Should the UFC fear whether it's through their own, greed, ignorance, or maybe through strategy of trying to, let's stretch this out, right? The competitive advantage they have financially, let's stretch it out and use it as far as long as we can. Could that could could the UFC in a year 
not hold the same power they do now by all of this happening at once in your opinion you say a year, I don't know what the timelines would be. Again, the fighters could go in there and just get absolutely washed in this trial, in which case none of this really becomes relevant. Um, even if the plaintiffs win, I don't know how long it would take for... I mean, it's not like they're going to bang the gavel and then like all of a sudden everything has to be different tomorrow. There is a... There is a they would, they would, by the way, Zufa would appeal any um, judgment that would come negatively towards them, which would, you know... Uh, you know create more litigation and more time. So, you know, you say a year from now, I don't think a year from now is necessarily the issue, but let's just posit what could happen. And again, fighters could get fucking washed. Who knows? But let's assume that they prevail and that they get the contracts changed. Only then do I really believe that Saudi Arabia could be, or, you know, let's just say the Arabian Peninsula, because it is Qatar, it is UAE, it is Saudi Arabia. They've all got sovereign wealth funds. They're all using them. I do think in that case, if the U, I mean, remember the UFC has what 80, 85 percent of the world's best fighters. Imagine you crack open that, and now you can really much more readily feed from there to other places. I do think that would vastly realter the landscape. That would. And I'm not saying I'm cheering for it from the standpoint of let's break up UFC's monopolistic power. I understand. So then You're just we, asking what could happen, right? So then we water down the sport and put more people in exclusive contracts, like in boxing, where they can't fight each other. That's not what I'm fighting for. I'm just wondering if this is a really, really, really bad time for all of this to ha be happening to UFC. And when I say happening, I mean, they're having their they're having record number financial quarters. So it's not a bad time in that sense, but a bad time in the sense that what would be the biggest threat to UFC, despite having the top fighters in the world and being the largest combat stage you can fight on, maybe only separate from the biggest one per year boxing match. What what would be the biggest threat to them? How about sovereign wealth that are willing to invest in their yes. partners that if the free agent market opens up more based on these court decisions, you know, then it's an interesting spot where the UFC could find itself in where inevitable change was always needed and always coming down the line. Eventually, it seems like that eventually is now, Luke, and that's exciting. It's a little scary. There's a lot going on at once, but I did want to hit that John Nash tweet you referenced, which isn't a jab at me. It is sort of trying to dispel my conspiratorial natures here. Here's what he said regarding Brian's secret undisclosed payments. <laughs> he's correct that the UFC does that, but those have now been disclosed. Chael and DC both got $1 million locker room payments that were not part of any contracts. McGregor got 2.11 million scores of fighters get two to 10,000. Those were included in the data data per John S Nash at Hey, not the face on Twitter. Um, Okay. I just, I mean, I, I know you're going to say you're stupid, you're crazy, you're wasting our time. So you're telling me that this great company has never practiced in any other lanes, Luke, that have never done if things. If you have that evidence to suggest that they've done underhanded shit, by all means, by all means, I just feel like the, the quick response any. for that is, well, they could get in trouble. But the fighters are, basically, what I'm saying is, the fighters have the incentive to never make this public because they're so happy to have received it, Luke, as payment so that they won't fight for more publicly or disclose their payments yeah. to increase competition. I know you think that's crazy, but I I've think, seen here's, some here's things what you're in mistaking. Business. Here's what you're mistaking. I've you're seen... thinking that, okay, so let's take, let's take John Jones, for example, who got like one, five, two, two, five. I know he got more than that for one of them, but you know, whatever. You saw the payouts. Let's just say two, two, two million bucks. What you're assuming is that they wouldn't be happy with that and it would require some other kind of uh, bonus, whatever that number might be, another two, whatever, so, something to really make them happy. Aha, 
for this bonus. Now I will keep quiet. But, you know, a lot of these guys don't have great, some of them do, but some of them don't have great financial literacy. They're, they're very young guys. They're not experienced in the world more generally. And I think what you're looking at is, oh, there must be some other reason beyond what they're getting, which is a nice payment, but not what they maybe have earned, that keeps them quiet. And I think the argument is, no, what keeps them quiet is they're one of the very few who gets to that level at all. They don't have greater financial literacy in many cases. And so they're just very comfortable there. That's actually doing the work, not some mysterious, non-traceable amount of milk boy fumbled bag cash. Well, you know, you want to keep them quiet you want to keep them happy i don't know i've seen some shit but again it's going to wear people out it's a topic for another day uh eric nixick the trainer from an mma sense co-trainer or second trainer in terms of boxing for francis and was on the mma hour with ariel hawani this week and i think the extension of this topic is will the if the biggest fight to be made in all combat sports right now suddenly or maybe not the biggest i don't know you can tell me John Jones versus Ngannou in NBA, in uh, in NBA, in in MMA. I mean, that could be in a football stadium. That could be at the Sphere. It's that level of fight. Here's what what do you got, Luke? What do you got? Say it. Is it Ismail Bonfim? Is this why you're upset? Go ahead and finish your point. God, fuck, man, it fucked up. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm sorry. You can I, We got to share it with the world, Luke. This is something you're, that's really broken your heart. Bunch of fighters fell off the card for tomorrow, and it now has fucked up my okay bet. God yeah, damn it, Ishmael Bonfim missed the missed weight by three and a half pounds. His fight with Vince Pichel, Luke, is yeah, but canceled. it's not just that. Daniel Marcos versus Victor Hugo is also off the card tomorrow as well. Yeah, they're coming after your okay bet future hopes, Luke. They want you to do last minute picks till you'll lose mm. and you'll end up jam banding. Uh, here's what Nick Six said regard to Ariel on this topic. He said, in a perfect world for me, I still want that John Jones fight. Hell yeah, I do. Just because I want to compete against the best, and I think John is the best, I don't want any more guesses about who the baddest man on the planet is. You can make that happen. Both sides can make that happen if they really wanted to. Set your egos aside. Let's get Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Let's give the fans what they want. He would go on to continue to talk up that fight and says, does a PFL UFC deal uh, put the baddest man on the planet against one another? Yes, let's figure it out. Everybody wants this. The fighters win, the fans win, the promoters win. Easy for Eric to say, although he's right. It's what the fans want. It's the biggest fight you can freaking make. Um, Luke Thomas, is there any world... Because this would, I think this would change the game more than any other. Because the working theory is UFC doesn't co-promote. They're always in the power position. But there are a lot of things changing from Francis breaking through and having this big moment, which kicks open the door to the possibility of life-changing large paydays from here until he walks away from combat sports. Is there anything that we are naive to? I mentioned a Disney phone call. Or is the ego and pride of Dana and company behind the scenes always going to be enough to prevent this great fight from happening. So as I understand, I mean, Dan Hardy had an interesting analysis, right? And Dan Hardy believed that like the success that Francis had would not, his theory, his hypothesis anyway, was that the success that Francis had would not make the UFC go, aha, you know, we should really work together with these guys and that would be a way where we can win, they can win, and they wouldn't want to leave. And his his assessment is that um, that the UFC would take the opposite approach. That because he had success, they're going to say, okay, well, this is now something very serious. 
and we need to prevent it altogether. And of course, you had previously referenced that there are now, they didn't get rid of sunset clauses, but they've added other kind of tolling provisions that make using the sunset clause much more difficult than before for the newer contracts coming out. And we already know from before, they're asking you to sign away any participation in a class action lawsuit going forward as well. So like things like that. So if that's really the approach that they're going to take, then I suppose it is a bit of a pipe dream, right? Um, I found out BC that, uh, you know, a place that shall go unnamed where I used to work that, um, you know, I, I had a full-time job there and then I would do some work on the side and then they would get kind of bitter about it. I'd be like, well, you could provide these opportunities for me. And then they just wouldn't. So I would keep taking those side gigs. And then eventually I left that company and I found out that after I left, they changed the rules so that the arrangement that I had where you could do full-time and then take side stuff, they just completely eliminated that. So it seems like Hardy's assessment that what corporations do in the event that someone shows their model doesn't work for everybody is just to make the model worse. <laughs> it's just to make the model worse. That seems to be a direction that they want to go. To your point, BC, is there a way for the UFC to win here without giving away the game? I do think so. I do think so. I think if they really wanted that, it is a place they can pursue. It just doesn't seem their, – their posture is – fastball every time man and i don't well it's that's, like if that's the way they in this go, case i will say it's like boxing there are fights that get talked about hey what if tank fought you know insert guy on the quote other side of the street that we're always like okay knee jerk that's impossible it won't happen here are the reasons why but what is actually stopping it from happening what is actually stopping ryan garcia and tank davis from fighting this calendar year it took the fighter going back to his promoter to the zone that ryan garcia did in, in fall for it said no we got to figure this out i want this it took obviously at the same time tank being interested we've seen that happen in boxing a few times so obviously look it could happen but i think the question is what precedent would you be setting if it did Dana White and company are huge on holding those precedents so people don't follow. So the question is, well, what does Dana think about this? Luke, I don't know if you know this, but overnight he appeared with his first public comments on Francis Ngannou on Donald Trump Jr.'s Triggered podcast. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make this up, right? Really happened. Here we go. This MMA fighting uh, aggregated it. Here's the quote from Dana. The fact that he went 10 rounds with Tyson Fury is so crazy. Uh, Francis just went 10 rounds with Fury. McGregor made it 9 or 10 with Floyd. Pettis just beat Roy Jones. I know Roy is 60 years old or whatever, but I don't know what the hell is going on. It's crazy. I didn't see the fight, White says, but the fact that he went 10 rounds is unbelievable. Luke, I have more to say, but I want to stop right there. That's a lie, right? I didn't see the fight. That's that's a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. at a bare minimum, lie. he saw the highlights. At a bare minimum, he saw those. All right. Back to show Trump asked about Trump Jr. to his credit, Don Jr. He asked about UFC fighters crossing over to boxing for big paydays and and whether Nagano's infection defection, excuse me, hurt the promotion. White, according to MMA fighting, was surprisingly diplomatic. Here's his quote in in uh I don't care. Listen, these guys at some point, everybody is going to move on. Everybody has to do what's right for them and make money for their families. So whatever they got to do, they got to do. Every time I get on the phone with one of these boxing guys, I say, what the fuck am I doing? Am I out of my mind? These guys are all horrible to deal with. Uh, Dana would close by saying, um, when asked by Donald about sort of corruption, he says, not even the corruption. You can't build a business off of it. The key to having something is building a business. When you talk about the NFL, the NBA, they took all these sports and created a business of it. We did that with fighting and it just can't be done with boxing, end quote. But Luke, Dana saying, I can't get anything done with boxing because these guys are all horrible to deal with. 
I mean, isn't that the same thing every major UFC fighter that says about dealing with the UFC? So basically he's saying, I can't get done the strong-handed tactics that I'm used to because these people have leverage and are also strong-handed. So listen, we're, we, we, we have worked in boxing, you much more than me. You know, we've, we've worked in boxing. We, we, when Dana says that there's, you know, people that are hard to deal with or old school or don't get it or whatever, BC, I'm not saying about people we work with, but certainly in the industry, he's not wrong, right? He's not wrong about that. Are there dinosaurs in boxing? Yes. Are there people who don't get it? Yes. Are there people who hold stupid grudges and don't want to do business the right way? Yes. Are there selfish, absolute, you know, cretins, corrupt people in the business? Yes. Yes. All of that is true. But like, let's take, for example, our experience with Showtime Boxing in the last year. They had three $20 million gates. And I'm not here to do the whole bit where it's like, UFC didn't have any. I'm not, I'm not even going down yeah. that road. I'm just saying they got that done. Like, yes, it is difficult to do business in boxing. That is true. But it can be done, and it can be done quite lucratively with the right kind of posture. I think what he's talking about is, you know, it's, dude, there's a reason why Zufa Boxing never got off the ground and Power Slap did. One is very cheap and easy to control, and one is not. And one well, is not. Well, especially when you hit, look, to the, to the detriment of the fighters, and some except for the 1%, but to the enjoyment of fans and journalists alike, the UFC has succeeded through complete control by purchasing a sport that was banned from television for a couple million and putting in a lot of years, a lot of ups and downs financially, but turning it into something major. You're not going to walk into boxing and have that same control, especially during a time where the control is kind of being lessened and the athletes like Ryan Garcia that I said are starting to realize their worth and coming out and saying, no, I'm fighting for what I deserve. Luke, would Francis versus John have to reach the anticipation level financially that Mayweather McGregor was, which was the last time Dana White co-promoted with anybody. Does it have to reach that for Dana to give in or will, is this too, is Dana too entrenched in, I can't have Francis succeed because it sets bad precedents that why would he then go and set in a entirely new precedent by being willing to co-promote with promoters that he feels he's above yeah. uh, in that regard, it's never going to happen, right? Never. I mean, I, I don't want to say that there's no level that, I mean, imagine John versus Francis was so popular that we were theorizing realistically. I, don't, I mean, I don't think it's this close, but let's just imagine, right? Let's in a, in a hypothetical scenario, let's imagine we thought with good reason that John versus Francis could do 10 million buys. I, again, I'm just saying, I'm just speaking in the most absurd terms. Okay, what? A, oh, White, don't, don't, don't go absurd. I want to interrupt you, not to make you upset, Luke. I just want you to say, what do you think is the justifiable expectation for Jones versus Ngannou in the UFC's octagon for mm -hmm. pay-per-view buys in 2024. You mean with a co-promotion with PFL, all that stuff? Yes, yes. I think 2-5 is realistic. Damn. Yeah. Damn. Um, probably closer to 2, but I think 2-5 is on the table. Okay, I think, I so think it are we clear. nearing the money where, where if you're saying no to this, you're not being, like we always say, the problem with UFC managers not named Markel Martin and I'm sure there's other exceptions, but maybe we don't know about it because you never hear from these people. Nate Diaz's get... manager is an exception. Everyone is sort of playing ball with the UFC to keep the UFC happy, to keep their own relationship flowing, to keep their own future pay. Like, we know that. Watch MMAI analytics for more on that. 
But in this case, we always say it's the fiduciary responsibility for these managers to be fighting the UFC to get their fighters' biggest paydays. Right? Isn't it Dana's fiduciary responsibility to his own company and stockholders to put on this biggest fight possible that actually look if it's true that in the streaming era that this fight could do two million dollars two million buys and if it's true that you could put this in Allegiant Stadium Cowboy Stadium whatever you want to say and sell it out and make maybe the largest gate in UFC history when does that phone call come that says hey Dana we love you but you got involved in Mayweather McGregor because there was stupid amounts of money available to the UFC for just saying yes. I don't think it does. I mean, when you have this is this is why the control is kind of interesting, right? And people have made this point to me. My argument about advocating for John versus Francis with PFL UFC co-promotion. BC, we should say one thing about that. That doesn't mean that they're going to be in the smart cage or that the PFL commentators are going to be on TV. No, 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 no. We had Tank versus Ryan which was technically a co-promotion between PBC and, uh, you know, I guess Golden Boy and then DAZN and Showtime. But Showtime 100% controlled the production of that event. That was an Al Bernstein, Morrow, and Abner Mares on the call. It was Brian Custer at the hosting desk. You had called the prelims, like, right? That was a Showtime thing. So it could be a co-promotion, and it would be unrecognizable from a UFC pay-per-view. You could even make them wear UFC gloves. You, I mean, you could do any number of things where it would be utterly indistinguishable if you wanted it to be because there is such a completely different level of ability in terms of who can promote between PFL and UFC. I understand that completely. Um, fuck, now I forgot the question because I went on this goddamn tangent. Uh, oh, the call. The call from Disney. This is this is the problem with Monopoly. This is why the market is broken. They, it, It's true that they are giving up on the biggest fight you could maybe make in UFC, at, frankly, MMA heavyweight history. It's potentially that big, right? When we, Francis is now a star among the stars, and John Jones is certainly a very well-respected, known drawing entity. This is a monumental clash, a historic one. Yes, you're punting on that, but dude, we just read their revenues, 600 plus in two quarters. In two quarters, you know, yes, they'd be giving up a pretty significant windfall, but they're going to get any, a different kind of significant windfall because they control of every dollar the entire industry makes. They make ninety. Per, they make ninety cents of it. So when you have that control, your incentives are utterly warped. My only argument about advocating for it is very basic. If you're a fan, is it in your interest to ask these two entities to work together to make not just a fight or a They're good fight? They're with the same network. It's actually harder to do and Tank BC, versus Ryan. BC, literally, I don't know if it would be, but John versus Francis is certainly on the short list of one of the biggest fights you could ever make in MMA and certainly MMA heavyweight history you are not wrong as a fan for asking promoters to make this do it it's just crazy that the stance dana and the ufc has always had you can now use against them the stance that oh boxing's fucked up they never work together they can't get out of their own way they can't make the biggest fights because nobody everybody's so greedy they don't want to work together well now we surprisingly have the biggest fight you can make and who's being greedy and doesn't want to work together. It's interesting. It's just, it's interesting, right? I'm not trying to make you take sides in this. And I know sometimes people are getting a little too caught up in the, okay, you guys are getting a little too anti UFC rhetoric. I just want what everybody wants, the best fights available. Luke, you caught up with Dewey Cooper and had a great chat that we talked about. Go to youtube.com slash morning combat to watch it in full about how they did it, but also about what's next. And that's what you asked Dewey. What would he prefer? What does he believe should be next? for Francis Ngannou. Let's listen. 
Uh, you think Francis fights MMA in 2024? <laughs> um, he said he's going to do both. So we'll wait and see. Look, um, right, let me, actually, let me, let me ask this, Coach. Let me ask this, if I may. So you're just the coach, right? It's the, you're not on the business side of it. They come to you, they say a name, and you got a job to do. Yeah, however, yeah. however, if they did come to you and they say, hey, who do you think Francis matches up well with the most in heavyweight boxing? The answer is? Any of them. Because we're going <laughs> to devise a plan and be ready. But I definitely love an Anthony Joshua fight. I definitely love that fight. And, you know, Deontay Wilder, that's a good fight also. But honestly, um, real champions see no faces. They're willing to fight whomever because they believe in themselves, they believe in their abilities, and they know they can make the adjustment to defeat anyone. That's what this Tyson Fury fight was about, to show the world that Francis Ngannou can make the adjustment to defeat anyone. And uh, we felt like we accomplished that task. Unfortunately, uh, two people felt like we did, and those were those two judges. Luke, I want to ask you this, because one great thing that Dewey said all along was, this is my opinion on what could be next for Francis, but I'm the trainer. I'm not the promoter. I'm not the manager. Markel Martin is the agent, manager, whatever you want to say, and he was on the MMA Hour with Ariel this week, and he it looks like he framed it as they are expecting Francis to come back in the first quarter of next year in boxing before an eventual PFL debut, whether that's a hybrid fight with Wilder or whether that's a real boxing match. Uh, they talked about with Markel wanting big names. What do you think is most likely what should be next for Francis right around the corner to kick off? Because you got to be, you got to play on the momentum. You got to get right back in yeah, there. Yeah, you got to play on the so momentum. What... So boxing should be next, first or second quarter. And then I would say MMA third or fourth quarter. Dude, Anthony yeah. Joshua could be the perfect opponent at the perfect time right like Dude, this would be I, a people were saying fight. what about like chizora or white and i'm like i, I, I mean if you I'm just not... did that to fury i don't need you in there against chizora yeah okay? exactly like... and also it just wouldn't it be more fun to see him go up against joshua even if he got washed it'd be more fun or it'd be great wilder what if he gets what if one of those guys gets ko'd inside three rounds you'd be like holy shit let's do that again like they're just more fun they're more fun the only thing i want to say here I support Markel. I support Francis. We've been all over this. But I'm looked at as sort of the boxing protector who's like, great job, Francis, but sorry, didn't win the fight under these specific rules that everybody hates, even though these are the universal judging rules we all deal with. Markel made the argument of to Ariel that was like, I knew they wouldn't let us have it. I knew they would screw us potentially. And then I thought maybe they would, because of the knockdown, give us the nod. I want to tell everybody who's fighting against boxing decisions who doesn't come particularly from boxing, that's the wrong argument to take on here. That's suggesting that the judges at the end of the fight do one pride score over who won the whole fight and that they would actually be in a position to go, well, Francis had the bigger moments and scored the knockdown. He's got to win, right? Once again, folks, it's a round-by-round, 10-point round, must system. Francis did not throw enough punches per round to guarantee a larger this argument. Again on Friday. If you want to make the argument that boxing screwed Francis, at least make the argument about the actual scoring system. Make the argument that, look, I thought Francis won two more rounds than the judges did, and here's why. In round this, he threw this many. Like, have an argument. Don't do the generic, oh, boxing mm. had to screw the outsider. That's not even how fights are judged. Okay, like we got to get past that. All right. Can we get past that, Luke? Um, I mean, I have a PTA meeting at the end of this, so I, I'm past it. 
All right, let's keep going. That's that topic. Let's move it on here, Luke. Uh, we do have OK Bet right around the corner and a breakdown of this weekend with so many fighters missing away. But before we get there, Luke, I want to know, are you on the hunt for a new guilt-free snack by any chance? Uh, I'm always looking for guilt-free snacks. You know me. You know me. I love my, like, um, you know, zero sugar fruit punch or things like that. I'm always looking for a way to get a nice taste. But, you know, helping some of my bigger diet goals, right? Especially when you're sitting in the eighth row, Luke, and you know it's hard sometimes to make <laughs> the smart choices after that. But how about this? How about Kudo, K-U-D-O, the official protein popcorn of the UFC? Kudo's popcorn has a revolutionary cooking method that allows each bag to have 10 grams of whey protein isolated in each bag while still tasting absolutely delicious. Yes, you heard that right. 10 whole grams of protein in every bag. And Luke, people say, oh, BC, it's great that you can come out here and read this ad, read and act like you're all into it. Hey, guys, I got a box in the mail of about 12 different varieties. I ate them all in about four days, Luke. I devoured this smart, healthy, protein-packed snack. And I'm here to tell you I loved it. Yeah, yeah, you got in on that snacking revolution that MMA athletes like Michael Chandler, Robbie Lawler, Bruce Buffer, and even Dana White himself endorse. For a limited time, our listeners- We're all jacked. Okay, they're right. all jacked, right. Luke. For a limited time, our listeners get 25% off their entire order with the code COMBAT. Of course, it's going to be COMBAT with a K. And here's where you go. Kudosnacks.com. K-U-D-O snacks.com. Check it out. The official protein popcorn bag of the UFC. And something I happily, readily put into my body luke you want to talk about flavors how about garlic garlic parmesan white cheddar salty sweet kettle corn i've taken them all downtown and by the way if you're hitting the gym or going for a long hike or whatever and you need that little boost a little bit of most muscle protein synthesis and the growth of lean muscle mass you can actually get that with kudo protein popcorn so i'm i'm all in folks okay let's do this by the way bc how about this gluten-free preservative free 100 whole grain keto friendly for the folks out there like that and only how about this 70 70 calories per cup and the best part it's made right here in estados unidos right there you go you'll be amazed how kudo popcorn has somehow made your favorite healthy snack even tastier even healthier so once again 25 percent off exclusive discount today if you go to kudosnacks.com and use our code combat with a k it's protein popcorn of the ufc get popped it's kudo all right luke get popped into this week's head-to-head battle so last week in okay bet we only did three picks for the tyson fury and ganu fight but we do have an update this is the head-to-head five picks a piece loser goes to a concert concert excuse me that they have no want to this one's called okay bet I'd be remiss if I didn't mention here, Luke, that this OK Bet segment is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more with the fine folks at FanDuel Sportsbook. Download that app right freaking now. Last week, Luke Thomas went one and two. BC went two and one. And the key here was predicting that Fury and Ganu would go the distance. So your updated scoreboard, Luke Thomas, 74, 78, and four under 500 like a biatch. BC... 76, 80, and 1. Luke, I'm not so good at math as we've learned from that SAT question you snuck in that time when I was H as F. Um, who's actually winning percentage-wise? Who's actually in first place right now? Uh, I don't know how we're are, we, are we not counting the draws? Because that's the part that I don't get. 
Well, you're you you have two less wins than I do. Yes. But you have two, two, have two less, less losses, losses as well, and three more draws. So I think I don't know, Mike. Do you have a calculator? Can you work? We out have never figured out exactly how we're counting the overall total. If we're counting total total fights minus, or I should say, divided by, or whatever minus the losses, um, then it would be me. But if we're not yeah. doing that, I've still I can't do the math quite in my head. For you ever this, find but... yourself counting blue cars with the Schwala, Luke as a as a nineties throwback jam? Tell they only had that one song, dude. They were not that great. No, they really weren't. They really weren't. Uh, anyway, we're pretty close. And the, the real the real takeaway here is, BC, we, su we suck ass. I mean, we are really the most pathetic pieces of shit. You could literally flip a coin and do better than we're doing, but that's the name of the game, boys. That is the name of the game. It's We're picking underdog bets. We're picking a lot of different ones. So our percentage isn't the key, Luke. It's who's better than the other man in this event. So... I will offer you, although I don't have the statistics of who actually has a better winning percentage, I will offer you the chance to go first or second here this week as we focus, of course, on UFC Sao Paulo. Sao well, we got to figure this out a little bit because I think two of the guys I picked are no longer eligible, and I'm not going to pick yes. one on the fucking fly. I get time to do it. So I can go... Wow. Look at angry right there. I lost second. one of my I'm gonna fights. I'm going to go second. Too. I'm going to go second. Okay. Um, I actually I didn't lose one of my fights because I didn't bite down on the bone theme fight after all. So Luke's gonna go first. The main event here is UFC Sao Paulo, Brazil, Saturday, a fight night card. And it's of course a heavyweight tilt with the rising Jelton Almeida, 14 consecutive finish victories against late replacement, but big power, big name in Derek Lewis. And Luke, before we get into these picks, didn't Derek Lewis just uh prove Sammy Hagar's uh song lyric true? Which, which one of Sammy Hagar's song lyric? Drink Cabo Wabo, it's my tequila. I love my lady's pound cake. Homegrown. Sorry, sorry, Luke. Um, I'm talking about speeding. Do you care about this yeah, at went, all? He, drove... he went 3x the speed limit in his fucking car. So Derek Lewis was arrested for driving 136 miles in a 50-5-0 mile per hour zone in Dude, Harris County. You're going to go to jail for that. Outside of Houston, the 38-year-old was charged with reckless driving, which is a misdemeanor charge. Uh, he was driving an FM 2100 red Lamborghini, and he passed a member of law enforcement while weaving in and out of traffic, making unsafe lane changes. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a safe way to drive. Uh, that's interesting. He's also in this fight on Saturday. And before I give you my main event pick, Derek Lewis caught up with one Shaquille Majori of cbssports.com and MK contributor fame to talk about his new contract and in a lot of ways his newfound up motivation, upscale motivation here with the new deal at age 38. Let's hear from the Black Beast. Oh, I'm motivated than ever. Um, the UFC put their faith in me and gave me another contract, a very lucrative contract, and uh, like I appreciate them for that. So it gave me more confidence um, to put put all my work in, into the gym, and into the octagon, and um, to make them not regret their decision. Um, yeah, I mean, physically, you know, looking lean. I know a lot of people have been talking about it. I just want to nip this in the bud because I know I had fans asking me about it. You signed a new eight fight deal with the UFC. Safe to say, you're here for the long haul. Yes, for sure. I'm here for the long haul. And it's crazy that 2017 that I wanted to give all this up, and now it's like, it's I I don't even want to tell people how much I'm making now. 
because I don't want no one to get jealous or get mad at the UFC for something, you know, they did for me. So I'm not going to. Luke, smart financial decision to, to sign a, uh, a elongated job security like deal at this age, although job security is always with an asterisk because they can cut you for losses at any point. Or should he have entered the Francis sweepstakes knowing that it could have disassociated him with the brand for a while? I think, um, listen, if we were living in a more open environment more generally, then I would say definitively he made a poor choice uh, in terms of his financial upside. I still think he made a questionable one. Um, but again, I think he probably is going to make, according to like what you know, how we measure the top 1%, he's probably going to make um, you know, good money uh, in that sense. So... Do I think he maximized his wealth? No, I don't think he maximized his wealth. But uh, I don't think he's going to be impoverished either. And if he likes the security and he doesn't want to... I mean, listen, a lot of these guys don't want the mental headache and the difficulties that come with carving your own path. Look at how hard it was for Francis. Everyone shit on him the entire time. He got the last laugh, but that had to be hard. A lot of guys don't want to go through that. I understand that. But that's the whole reason why you want a more, you know... Can you imagine, like, well, Canelo left... Matchroom, I guess Matchroom's going to be done with him. It's like you couldn't even fathom something like that. And, you know, Derek is not Canelo, but you get the idea. Guys go in and out of promotions all the time in boxing. It's a little bit more simple that way. All right, the fan duel line on this main event, plus 370, the underdog Derek Lewis, minus 520, the red-hot Almeida, supposed to face Curtis Blades, last-minute replacement. Luke, the comments you made about the fact that as good as Almeida is on the ground, his entries, his takedowns, maybe not always clean, seamless. And you brought up the prospect of Lewis potentially being able to time him, find that big moment, use that power that has produced the most knockouts in company history. I saw a lot of people in my DMs going, Luke was right, upset city. But Luke, it's okay bet. I live and die on the vibes. And I love me from Derek Lewis, but I don't love him that much, dude. I'm taking Jalton Almeida as a solid-ass favorite. I'm going to need him to be careful. I'm going to need him to be boring. I'm going to need him to drag down, exhaust Derek Lewis. And if Derek Lewis gets back up, you drag down and exhaust him again. I do think Almeida has to show us, in every fight from here on out, a constant escalation in his striking to enlarge in the idea that we have a title you know, challenger here and waiting, but I think he gets it done. All things considered, that's my pick against the Black Beast. I'm going to share your pick. I'm going Jalton Almeida as well. I recognize that his entries are weak. His, his uh, wrestling from a distance is not that great, but he is athletic. And then once he gets guys down, that's when he becomes a real nightmare. We talked about it: half guard to turtle to mount to back. He's got that whole sequence down better than just about anyone. He should be able to get this done, especially in Brazil. Give me Jalton Almeida. Just a reminder, though, that Cormier, or not Cormier, that Lewis did come back in that 33-second knockout of Rogerio de Lima. Uh, he tipped the scales in that one, Luke, at a crispy 263.5 and looked in much better shape this time this morning in Brazil. Lewis weighed in at 265, right on the limit. Almeida coming in at 236. So those guys are both in. We are both picking Almeida, but, Luke, we teased earlier – a lot of weight issues up and down. Nicholas Dalby and Gabriel Bonfim are both in for the co-main event, coming in under the 171 allowed limit. But Gabriel's brother, Ishmael Bonfim, missed weight by three and a half pounds. 
canceling his bout with Vince Michelle. Victor Hugo, who came in on short notice to fight Daniel Marcos, weighed in at 138.5 for their Bantamweight bout, which was also canceled. Uh, Jacques Enrique was the first to report that. And also Eduarda Mora missed weight by four and a half pounds for her straw weight clash with Montserrat Ruiz and was fined 30%. But it does, feel, it does appear as if she'll be able to fight. Luke, your reaction here to a, uh, a big day of missing down in that lower America? Don't know the circumstances. Uh, I believe uh, Eduarda uh, and her team said she got her period this week and it really fucked everything up. So I can understand that it was a huge weight miss. Um, you should know, there be allowances in... for 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 menstrual cycles? I'm being serious here. Should there be allowances for the I don't damn know. thing? It's Luke? actually a good question. I really, really, honestly, truly don't know what the answer is there, but it doesn't make it easy for him. I do know that, dude. I'm being serious. If I was in Ruiz's corner, I would decline the fight financially. She probably can't, but I, I would not accept it under these terms. You would say, "Yo, Cornejo." Take the money and run, only there's no money, as Wonderboy proved after Michelle Padeda missed. There's no money, Luke. Just run. Thank you. Let's go to OK Bet, my favorite pick. I'm going to stay on this UFC card. I'm going to stay in a women's matchup because I tend to do very well in these, Luke. But I'm going to keep it at the women's strawweight division. Angela Hill trying to bounce back from the loss to Mackenzie Dern. Going to take on a, a Denise Gomez, who is coming off a big knockout of horror guy luke and if we look at the updated odds of the moment from FanDuel, gomez minus 134 against the plus 110 angela hill so a very close matchup on paper but luke i feel like there's just this ceiling above angela hill that she's a gritty gutsy veteran she yeah she can push dern take big punishment and not not stop trying to come forward for 25 minutes but that was also a wide loss i'm going to expect the younger the more rising Denise Gomes to get it done here as a slight betting favorite in the in what is my pick for favorite overall. All right, so for my pick for favorite, I'm going to go against your native Lithuanian. Give me Vitor Petrino, 26 years of age, obviously Brazilian himself. He's coming off of wins against Anton Turkali, who, you know, the pleasure man didn't exactly stand out all that great. Uh, but he beat Hodolfo Bellato, who did have a good uh, run in Contender Series in his second try. And then uh, Marcin Pracnio, he sent him to the land of Wind and Ghost with an arm triangle in the third round in his last contest. Bukowskis is certainly a grinder. I respect that he got back to this far, but I think they're putting him up against a young Brazilian, fe not phenom, but riser in this particular case, and uh, I like Petrino to win. See, now you're getting me nervous here. You're picking the opposite of me, Luke. Petrino is a minus 245 betting favorite in this matchup. But Bukowskis, who has won four straight, including two in Cage Warriors, after leaving and being cut by UFC, and then two straight back in the octagon, is a minor, sorry, plus 194 underdog. Luke, I got to back the yellow and green and red here, and I'm not talking about the Jamaican flag that I'll probably get dead wrong for saying from the last episode based on that same color pattern. I'm talking about Lithuania. I'm talking about the Grateful Dead sponsoring the 1992 Lithuanian Olympic basketball team, Luke. I had that tie-dye shirt in the late 90s, okay? I represented my people. My mom's maiden name is Vitkowskis. That, I mean, I think that's enough. You're always like, how Lithuanian are you, BC? Luke, I'm actually more Lithuanian than I am anything else, all right? Except for French-Canadian. I'm more of that, actually. So um, there you go. You. I'm going to go Modestus Bukowskis on vibes, on flag vibes, Luke, on loyalty, to get the job done as a small betting underdog. I've done the vibes right. thing on picks. I can't hate too much. Who do you got for an underdog here? 
Uh, I had Victor Hu Vitor Hugo, but he is no longer going to be competing. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to just pick one right this second and fuck my shit up. You just going to make rules up as you go along, Luke? This well, I mean, we don't have a rule for what happens when they fall out after you've already picked him in the middle of the show. I'll talk to Mikey. I'll get him one that he approves according to what the fair rules should be, and we'll get one in. So I had Luke, Vitor Hugo. I no longer Instead of have. heckling you for being a bitch, I actually am impressed by the commitment you are now showing to this segment and the idea that at the end of the day, whether you care or not, whether I live or die or this segment does, you don't want to be around that many hippies at one time. And I that gets me excited that you would push it to this level where you're like, you know what? I'm going to order off the menu with Mikey because I can't be around these folk. I just don't want to do the scary amount of drugs I'm going to have to do to tolerate that kind of an experience. Yeah. Says the guy who watches a big, large man with a house filled with machine animals that he pulled out of a diner's lobby telling me that this is the song where I pee blood and I shoot it. I come blood. There you go. Thank you very much. Let's keep it going here. Uh, does it go the distance or not? As Luke does not have an underdog pick, but he will. We'll share it on social media for those that care. And by those that care, I mean KY. KY. Not the jelly, Luke. The man who is competing against us in his own mind on Twitter X every single week. Uh, go the distance or not, I'm going to go off the menu, go to top rank boxing on Saturday. F.A. Ajagba, the big slugging heavyweight, is going to take on Joe Goodall from the U.K. In the main event, I'm telling you that this will not go the distance between two slugging heavyweights. Ajagba has only lost to Frank Sanchez when he was outboxed on that pay-per-view. I think he can get a stoppage here against this white fella. Give, give me this uh, not going the distance. All right, so for my uh, over, under, uh, distance or not, I'm going to go Dontel Mays versus Rodrigo Nascimento does not go the distance. Folks, forget this is a rematch. Nascimento already has a second round. Um, we're going to choke victory over him. Now, he has gone to two split decisions in his last fights against Tanner Boser and Ilir Latifi. I think both those guys are probably better than Dontel Mays. Dontel Mays with a record of 10-5. and five. I've not been super blown away, so I don't think this one goes the distance. I'll take the under. KO or sub is our final category. And Luke, Caio Borajo seems Bojalio. to be... Bojalio seems to be something worth watching. No, I'm not talking about the quality of ink on his throat. I'm talking about his ability to finish, be aggressive, come out. I don't know what to make of Abu Smagomedov, who has been, you know, he's been knocked out disastrously in PFL before in the playoffs, came back after a long layoff, made it to the UFC. He got absolutely railroaded by Sean Strickland. Could that happen again in this matchup? Even though Boralho, Boralho, Boralho has many submissions in Bo his Rajo, game, Luke. Yes. I'm going for the knockout here. I question Abu's chin. I'm going to go for Kayo. I think this is a winning formula right here. I picked a little off the vibes, a little off the uh, common sense, a little off the women's fights. I've got a perfect menu here for success for this weekend. Luke, Kayo or sub, which direction you go? I'm going to go, I believe I have it for a sub, yes. I'm going to go the person who missed weight, Eduarda Mura, taking on Montserrat Ruiz. Uh, ending in sub, Mura, 9-0, sitting at 29 years of age. She did miss weight. But obviously, coming off the Contender Series win, she got a rear naked choke in the first round. She had rear naked chokes all through the course of her career. Uh, she's got some ground-and-pound finishes as well. Um, she's the heavy favorite no matter what against uh, Miss Conejo. And so this is a tough fight. I think she, I think Conejo's going to lose no matter what. The question is what method. I suspect she's going to get uh, a submission in the end. So I'll take sub. 
Olympics. So. Look, the only sub that's going to be part of that fight is the post-fight meal at Subway for Montserrat. I mean, come on, this is this is great. This is playing right into my hands. What's your right? order at Subway? Uh, meatball marinara with spinach and onions and tomatoes, Luke, and Parmesan cheese on top of the regular cheese they put down. I mean, if oh, you have a problem with that, Parmesan cheese in yours. As, as Ariel said, if you have a problem with that. Say it to my face, Luke. Okay. I will say the meatball that. sub Sorry, is a the meatball sub is a good subway order, but you're putting just like you're like, yo, can I get some uh, road salt and some banana peels and cigarette butts in that bitch too? Sorry, Luke. To quote Ariel directly to Chael, don't be a fucking bitch. Say it to my face. Grow a pair. I give you that same message that okay. the Canadian did. Okay? That's a little that's strong because we're talking about subway sandwiches, but you know, I'll accept it. Um, look, if I was going to buy something a little bit more health conscious, Luke, I, I would certainly there are options I like. Do you do you get down with my wife's go to order every time, which is the uh, teriyaki chicken jam they got going on there? You know, what I'm talking about too the, sweet uh, for me, too sweet. Their teriyaki sweet. is sweet. I get the uh, I get the uh, if you're going to go to Subway, you're not going to eat for taste. Let's just be real. You're not eating for taste. You're Sean shirking it. Right. You're Sean shirking it. So I either get the veggie patty, which is actually pretty good, or I get double meat turkey on wheat. Okay. There you go. Uh, just a reminder to all you great folks out there that this OK Bet segment has been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more. Uh, Luke, any other comments about any other fights on this UFC card? No, because everybody missed weight in any other fight we cared about. Well, yeah, this, if- I mean, the fight card should be fine. It's not spectacular. It's enough to keep your addiction going if you're an addicted MMA fan. That's about it. All right. Do you care about these other addictions that are being offered? I wanted to mention tonight on Amazon Prime or Amazon Video, whatever they were, Prime Video, one fight night 16 from Bangkok. Ray Flores on the call in your main event, Bantamweight kickboxing match for the vacant one championship, Jonathan Haggerty versus Fabricio Andrade. Yeah, that's a great, great fight. Great strikers. Haggerty's incredible. Um, that should be a really a ton of fun. That's one of the better things where they've got two non-UFC names. And if you know anything about what what Andrade or Haggerty can do, you're probably pretty excited for this one. The inaugural one welterweight submission grappling world title will be at stake in the co-main event as Ty Ruotolo takes on Magomed Abdulakadriov, Luke. So there's that too, okay? It's a waste of everyone's time. Okay, also quickly in the boxing space this week, uh, Saturday, we got Joe Cordina back uh, from the UK, Luke, on the zone against Edward Vasquez defending Cordina's IBF junior lightweight title. We've got the Ajagba card from Lake Tahoe on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, there's another DAZN card with guys and women that you've never heard of, Luke, and then there's another no Don King card show. from Miami, Alunga Makabu fighting for the vacant WBC cruiserweight title. Nobody, very few people care. Thank you. Luke, we have one more segment for you today, and that's called Dead Wrong. And that's an opportunity through morningcombat at gmail.com for the people to email in and say, look, you guys are decent most of the week, but in that moment, you sucked the horn. You were dead wrong. So shut it. Shut your mouth. Shut your filthy mouth. This one's from Skimpy Dog. Hi, Donks. At 3440 of episode 509, Luke Thomas claims that Connor fought Jose Aldo and Eddie Alvarez back to back. And this is confirmed to be correct by BC. No, it wasn't, folks. Of course, Connor fought Nate Diaz twice between those two, and both of you washed losers are dead wrong. Skimpy. Yes. So, Skimpy Dog, I heard Luke say that. I knew he was dead wrong, but I thought you tried to amend that 
in real time. I thought you made a mention that there were DS fights in between. Am I wrong, Luke, or did you I actually? I may or may. I may have said I wasn't sure or something, but I definitely got the All spirit right. of it wrong. So look, I interrupt you enough either by accident because I'm a dill, though, or Luke by just like, hey, I got you know we're in a conversation, a debate. I got to make this point. I can't be cutting you off for dead wrongs too. On top of that, I mean, what do they want from me? I'm I'm really used to it at this point. All right. Thank you very much. Let's hear from Daz from Hawaii. Mahalo. He says during episode 508 on more than one occasion, example at 4130 BC mentions that Francis worked in the quote salt mines of Cameroon. I know this is pedantic, but BC, he labored away in sand quarries, quar quar quarries, Nate quarry, not salt mines. Either way, what an amazing journey and achievement by Francis. I love the watch along. Mahalo, it's Daz. Luke, should I accept that pedantic call out? Yes. I mean, because here's the thing. Salt Mines is a, um, a an expression you can use to mean hard labor. And that's what you did. But he's right. It wasn't technically a salt mine. It was a sand quarry. So it's a little bit different. But I know what you meant. Yeah, I mean, get off my back, Daz, all right? Let's one more for you from Rick. At 148 of Monday's episode during HYSTS, on numerous occasions, you, I mean, I don't know, who is this? You referred to staph infections as SARS, which is actually a That's respiratory illness. That would be me. I believe you meant MRSA, which is the deadly form of staph. However, the bigger dead wrong was not once but twice you referred to Paulo Costa as Paulo Cruz. Dude, shout out to Paulo Cruz from Naugatuck, Connecticut, who I haven't, I might be Facebook friends with him, Luke. I haven't seen him in decades. Boy, does he get a lot of airtime on this show. Sorry, BC, you're dead wrong. Much love from the middle of nowhere. Hey, dude, it's Antoine from Alaska. They say hey. Luke for 6'8, he stood that French bastard. You're right, Antoine. Um, I was dead wrong there. MRSA is not the same as SARS. Sorry about that. Uh, two more for you, Luke. No, that's it, right? That's it. That's it. I think that's it. That's it. All right, we went out with a whimper, Luke, but I promise you folks, I promise you folks that we've got great content for you. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Check out my interview with David Benavidez later today. Luke, should I share the lineup of names I've got lined up? They're spectacular. Please do. What do you think about a guy named Roy Nelson? I haven't talked to him in a while. Okay, mildly spectacular. I got Demetrius Andrade coming up. I got Shakur Stevenson. I got Alexander Usyk, Benavidez. I mean, there's some big things coming the MK way, or maybe big in my mind only. But check out Luke's incredible interviews with Dewey Cooper, Kareem Zidane, timely shit across the board there. Um, also, Luke, in the process, Mikey Morms and Shaquille Majori of getting me Mike Perry again to continue our bromance next week. You into that? I think that's, I think that's a great thing. I think that's okay. a great thing. That's what I got for you right there. Luke, would you say this was a good episode or 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 sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit? Will you call Mike Perry the N-word? Just because he can or just because I sh <laughs> I shouldn't? No, I will not under any circumstance, no. But I will ask him. I mean, we got to find out more about that second kid. What did he name what what is Ocean's sister's name? Um, I forget. Uh, I for I forget. I forget. I don't okay. remember. Do you think he he does like normal dad stuff? Like changes diapers? Oh, I'm like... sure he does. I'm sure he does. I have no doubt he does. Dude, dads who don't change diapers, your kid's gonna grow up to be fucked up. Just so you know, like. 
Your kid's going to grow up to be if a If you mess. refuse to change your daughter's diaper, she will inevitably end up on the pole. That's what Luke No, but just like the kind of relationship you have to be in and all the pathologies that come with it, if you're the kind of dad who's like, I don't change diapers, like, you're a bad dad, just so you yeah, know, but okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com if you want to email in anything, dead wrongs, fan subs, any of that bullshit. Luke, we got a couple of minutes to kill here before you get on with your life. You got anything you want to talk? Hey, any any planned interventions with me? You, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take it. What do, do you, you got? need one? Uh, t- typically, I, I, I need one in this house, usually about once a week from somebody. Luke, wait, okay, what do we got going on? I, 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 am pref- I prefer to let you live in peace if I can. Okay. So that's my plan. Um, like I said, I'm going to go to my uh, nephew's baptism this week. I'm very excited about that. Or this weekend, I should say. I'm very excited about that. And um, yeah, I have, a, I have a PTA meeting to see how my daughter's doing. So it should be Oh, fun. gosh. Got her toe spacers. Will you get her, her in on that spacers. revolution? Mikey uh, says there's we, a we planned intervention. We can go anytime you want, BC. Yeah. Mikey says there's a planned intervention for me running this show to the absolute last minute as possible. All right. Why don't we get off early here? I mean, that's what everybody's looking to do anyway, Luke. Right, you know what I mean. Just Everyone get is off, looking for right? the weekend, baby. Yeah, just trying to get off. All right, uh, cameo.com/slash Brian Campbell. I'm sure on Thursday you could have paid Luke to answer a question too. Uh, there we go. Um, that's all we got. Mikey Mormal behind the scenes. That's Luke Thomas on BC. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Uh, check out our great sponsors, Kudo Popcorn. How about the FanDuel Sportsbook? Who needs it? You do. That's all I got to say. We are out of here. Enjoy the weekend, folks. Thank you.